Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance from Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. It's our goal to reach out with God's truth to all people. Remember, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the church, how to donate, how to contact us, and the podcast available on your favorite podcast app when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael Lance and part two of his teaching in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, about the return of the king. The Antichrist is going to look like a good guy, but he comes conquering to conquer. You say, well, Jesus does the same, but you can see in the chronology of what we studied, and you may want to go back there and look at it, you know the devil is a master counterfeiter. But here comes Jesus on a white horse. In 2 Kings 2, 11 through 13, it says, It came about as they were going along and talking, Elijah and Elisha, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces and also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. There's some scenes in the Bible where we see chariots and horses that appear from heaven. Are they literal? Is it some sort of symbolic image? I'll let you wrestle with your conclusion as how you take this language. But we know, at least in the symbolism It is representing our great champion, our hero, our conqueror. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who what? Love his appearing. Do you love the fact that Jesus is coming? If you interviewed people on the street, at the mall, in the shopping center, and you said, hey, what do you think about the second coming of Jesus? You think they'd say, well, what? Paul went on in 2 Timothy 4.18, the last chapter he ever wrote, to say, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The one who rides on the horse, and there's going to be seven descriptions of Jesus from this point forward, is called faithful and true. Faithful and true. In verse 9, when we were introduced to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I think it's in verse 9. These are the, yeah, end end of uh, 9. These are the true words of God. Then the one on the horse is called faithful and true. You know, as I look at the news today and I, and I see what's happening in leadership, um, and, you know, here I'm talking about political leadership, but we could talk about all the stories coming out in Hollywood and that kind of thing right now. It's, it's a sad indictment on our culture. And, you know, you, you have to, as an individual citizen of America and as you weigh the news coverage, you have to ferret through the stories, right? And you have to determine, you know, what's, what's true and what's not true or whatever. But, but look, there's enough of this garbage going on right now where 
when we think about leaders and we think about those that we can call faithful and true, how many can you count on your hands? When's the last time you said, hey, that person, that leader is faithful and true? How many people do you know in your life that you would categorize as faithful and true? You know, by very nature of fallen humanity, we don't have a lot of people and examples that we can look to. We're often disappointed by people who make promises that they're going to be faithful and true. And then there's a pack of lies. There's a pack of falsehood. Uh, there's, there's religions that promise power, uh, you know, maybe excitement, and people dabble with occult things. By the way, people who think that they may be doing something religious, end up opening the door to occult dark power. So it can happen even in religious stuff. But this writer is faithful and true. Something else that you're going to see about him in verse 11. In righteousness, he judges and wages war. In John 7, 24, Jesus said, make a righteous judgment. Every judgment that Jesus makes will be righteous, 100% guaranteed. Because what's some of the skeptics of the God of the Bible, what do they say? I'm not sure that he, it's fair that he judges the way he judges. And this is the famous, this is the, the verses that all unbelievers know. Don't, doesn't the Bible say somewhere, judge not, lest you be judged, right? Don't judge me, right? These are the ones they know although they often take them out of context, right? But when Jesus makes a judgment, and we've seen in this book already that the, the ones in heaven are saying, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. His judgments will be righteous and true. Revelation 3.14 says he is faithful and true. And this is really, when you think about the descriptions of Jesus and what the Bible says He's faithful and true because he's God. That's God's nature. God is by very nature faithful. And he is in his very nature true. In fact, God, you know, Jesus, when he makes a declaration about himself, he says, I am the way and I am the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. It's impossible for God to what? To lie. He is always true to his word, which is heartening for a, as a follower of Jesus Christ to know this about him, that what he says is faithful and true. So these descriptions go on. Verse 12 says, and, and if you want a reference to uh, a parallel passage, write down Isaiah 11.5, where it says, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Isaiah 11, 5. And it's pointing to the millennial reign of Christ. His eyes, verse 12, are a flame of fire. Upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. First, we look at his eyes. His eyes, three more descriptions of him in verse 12, are like a flame of fire. Do you remember earlier in the book, we saw this in Revelation 1, 14, and his eyes being a flame of fire could speak of his pure judgment, 
but also can speak of his omniscience. Jesus sees through everything. In fact, sometimes in the New Testament, you read about Jesus, he knew people's thoughts. How inconvenient for those people. Can you imagine if you heard everybody's thoughts? I think it would ruin my whole view of everybody. (laughs) Right? But Jesus, the only way Jesus could know people's thoughts is to be omniscient. Because no one knows the thoughts of the man except that man or God. He even knows the thought before I think it. And so Jesus has these eyes that can see through everything better than x-ray vision. Look at another description of him in verse 12. Upon his head are many diadems. A diadem is a crown. It's a, the crown of a king. He has, what does it say? Many diadems. Uh, we'll come across this story in 2 Samuel 12, but when David defeated the, Ammonite, uh, the Ammonites and the king himself, he took the crown of the king from his head and it was placed on David's head. 2 Samuel 12, verse 30. Some scholars say that these may have been more like headbands. Others say they were literal crowns. We know there was a crown that was worn by the high priest as he served in the temple, and it said, holiness to the Lord. Whatever the crown looked like, Jesus has many diadems. And what this speaks of is that he is the king of all areas, all lands, all places. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. There's no place where he does not have sovereign dominion. And in fact, when he comes back, he's going to take his rightful place because there has been a usurper who's tried to be the God of this age. He's, of course, not. He's tried to be the the one beating the drum for the world to follow. And of course, the world has followed him in some respects, but Jesus is the true king. You can write down, Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Look at verse 12. He has many diadems on his head, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. What is this name? I don't know, because nobody knows it except him. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Maybe it speaks of the fact that when we end up in heaven, we will be plumbing the depths of God's nature for all eternity. See, we know some things about God, but we don't know everything about God. There's some things about God that perhaps when we have resurrection bodies and maybe we use more of our brains then, and I'll leave that to you if that's going to be the case. (laughs) Maybe we'll be plumbing the depths deeper. I think we'll be learning and growing, and it's exciting to think about what's ahead. Morris says, John may well be saying that no one has power over Christ. He is supreme. In the ancient world, those who practiced magic believed if they knew your name, it gave them power over you. But Jesus has a name no one knows, and that could be a secondary application. But either way, it speaks of his power, his omniscience, his, the beauty of his very nature. 13, I think this is the sixth attribute that we'll see about him. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called what? The word of God. The robe dipped in blood, 
you have two schools of thought. Some say that the robe represents the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ and his redemption for us. But I don't think that that's the meaning. I think the robe dipped in blood is the blood of his enemy. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But now we would like to invite you and your family to our free 633 event on Sunday, September 29th. If you suffer from depression, anxiety, mental illness, or know someone who does, come and listen to Pastor Michael's guest speaker, Dr. J.P. Moreland, author of Finding Quiet, for guidance and encouragement to overcome these issues. Dr. J.P. Moreland will reveal his extended battle with debilitating anxiety and depression while pointing you towards sound sources of information, treatment, and recovery. Afterwards, he and Pastor Michael will take questions from the audience. But space is limited, so please let us know if you're coming to this free 633 event. Register online at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Is the beauty of his very nature. 13. I think this is the sixth attribute that we'll see about him. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The Word of God. The robe dipped in blood, you have two schools of thought. Some say that the robe represents the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ and his redemption for us. But I don't think that that's the meaning. I think the robe dipped in blood is the blood of his enemies. And we can see this in Isaiah 63. Tell you what, turn over there for a second. Isaiah 63. A little bit past the Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah 63. There's uh, 66 chapters, so it's really towards the end of the book. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom? Isaiah 63, 1. With garments of glowing colors from Basra. This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah 63, 2. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the wine press, in the wine press? And he, he responds in verse 3. He says, I have tread, trodden the wine trough alone. From the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption has come. And I looked and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. And so my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my wrath and poured out their lifeblood on the earth. The seventh attribute back in Revelation 19, 13 is that Jesus is called the word of God. The man who authored the book of Revelation is John the Apostle. The man who wrote the book of John is John the Apostle. And he opens his uh, gospel by saying, in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In 1 John 1.1, he also makes reference to the Word. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, concerning the Word of life. Jesus is called in Revelation 19.13, the Word of God. Now, he's coming in judgment. So the word of God could mean that it speaks of the purity of his judgment and that he's going to speak the word. He spoke the word when the universe came into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. So if he says of somebody, "Uh, you done? (laughs) Then see you later. He holds our very life breath in his hand. He speaks stars into existence. He's incredibly powerful. He's called the word of God. In this context, says one writer, the word of God may be communicating the authoritative, decisive finality of the judgment he comes to render. But we also know that he's the living embodiment of truth as depicted in the word of God as well. And the armies which are in heaven, Revelation 19, 14, clothed in fine linen, which seems kind of strange for an army to be clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on white horses. Now, there's two schools of thought. Some believe that those following Jesus on white horses is the church. And some believe it's an angelic army. Just write this down. This is 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17. He answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes that he may see. The horses and the chariots, what do you think they represented? in all likelihood, an angelic army. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Matthew 25, 31, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Jude, verse 14 says, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. The word for holy ones here could be translated saints. Hagias, I think, is the Greek word, or it could be angels. So some people believe that the church is following him, but I don't think we'll have to do much but just watch him destroy the enemies if it's the church. Some people believe it's an angelic army and the bride of Christ doesn't have to fight. And there's some connection with the white linen and the clean garments to the church. So you can wrestle a little bit with that. There's some clear verses that seem to indicate the angels are all coming with him. Could it be a combination of angels and saints? Possibly. But... I want you to imagine now kind of a battle scene with the one horse in front and now all these other horses behind. This is the Lord's army. He's called the Lord of hosts or the armies of heaven. He's Lord over. You can see that in Joshua chapter five and other places. And so here he comes. And all these, you know, how many angels are there? There's potentially millions, perhaps even billions of angels. And here they come with the Lord of glory. And from his mouth, a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. I've heard some teachers who are more of the preterist persuasion, and we've explained that earlier, say this is all symbolic and maybe Revelation 19 is not about the second coming, but it's about the word of God spreading all over the world and people who were once enemies being converted to Christ. And maybe the horse is the church and Jesus rides the horse and he rides the message of the church into the world. I'd say, thanks for playing, but I think the whole theme of the chapter is not about the gospel going out. It's about the day of the Lord. Look at verse 15. It's the wrath of God. He's smiting the nations. He's not saving them. He's smiting them. This is the day of the Lord. He's put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Joel 3.13. Their blood is poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Zephaniah 1.17. This is the day of the Lord's wrath. And on his robe and on his thigh, 16. He has a name written. What's his name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Some people have said, does this mean Jesus has a tattoo? Because on his robe and on his thigh. Well, I think the language could be taken that this is just really on his robe, but also remember, this is probably, again, just largely symbolic. So I don't think that this is your best verse to try to defend your tattoo. Jesus has one. I'd be really careful with that one. You've been listening to Pastor Michael Lance on Walk in Truth. This was part two of his teaching in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, about the return of the king. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but now we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about Revelation, the gospel, or anything that has to do with the Christian faith, please ask Pastor Michael, and he'd love to address your question in future programs. Do you have a friend asking you questions that you're not sure how to answer? Pastor Michael would love to help. So ask away. Email your question to the address answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com. You can also call and leave a message at 800-48-TRUTH. That's 800-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, as we've been sharing on the radio, the book of Revelation, we've even seen Uh, more and more people signing on to the podcast. And we're excited. If you're a podcast listener, we're grateful that you're listening. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Hey, if you told a friend, hey, I'm going through the book of Revelation with Walk in Truth and Pastor Michael Lance. Hey, if you wanted to explain the book of Revelation, you know, there's, there's many facets to it, but I would say this. The book of Revelation is a revealing of Jesus and it does deal with the past, the present, and the future. Let's remember Jesus assessed seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He gave us a view of the worship in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. He broke the seals in Revelation 6 that began as we see tribulation. And then finally, the seventh seal, the beginning of the wrath of God. And we've been watching that wrath in the day of the Lord since then, in the uh, chapters beginning with eight and really to where we are at the present. So the book of Revelation is an exciting study about Jesus, about the past, the present, and the future. And we're all interested in all of the above and how our lives make sense in the grand scheme and how 
As the book ends, Jesus comes again and everything will be new again. Always remember that in Revelation 20 and especially in 21, we're told that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more death. Behold, I make all things new. The book of Revelation is about hope. And so don't avoid the book, but study it and find hope in Jesus right there. Hey, we'd like to invite you out to Sunday service uh, here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, right off the Lincoln off-ramp and the 91 freeway. We have two Sunday morning services at 9 and 11.15 a.m., and we happen to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'd love for you to join us so you can download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store, look for the red logo with the pillars, or go to walkintruth.com. You can get the information, directions, details on the services, the times, all of that. And we'd love for you to join us. So come on out on Sunday, especially if you don't have a church you're plugged into, or if you'd just like to come and visit Living Truth. We'd love to have you. Come on out this Sunday, download the app, and you can get all the info and directions. We'll see you here. Tune in again on Monday to listen to Pastor Michael's conclusion of Revelation chapter 19 called The Return of the King. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. In addition to our faithful listeners and financial partners, this program is made possible by our staff, Executive Administrative Pastor Mike Rizzi, Audio and Video Technician Nathan Lance, Program Director Rob Newton, Graphic Arts Director Brenda Lance, Walk in Truth Store Admin Larry Bondi, financial admin Claudia Rizzi, and senior pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to reach out with God's truth to all people.